I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Joining me to go behind this week's headlines is Cassie Walker-Burke, Bureau Chief of Chalkbeat Chicago, a nonprofit news organization reporting on education in the city. Welcome, Cassie. Thanks, Sasha. Also with us is Mike Flannery, political editor at Fox 32 News. Hi, Mike. Great to be here. All right, gang, we are going to get to today's big milestone, of course. That's the lifting of COVID restrictions. But first, let's talk a little politics. An extensive federal corruption investigation keeps getting closer to former House Speaker Mike Madigan. Some new recordings were revealed this week. Mike, can you give us the details on that? Well, what has come out uh, simply clarifies what people who read that 120-page FBI affidavit David, uh, more than a year ago, the which which was the initial confirmation of this investigation, understood that 120 pages made it quite clear that the original focus of this investigation and that FBI affidavit came out in connection with uh, the charges against uh, Alderman Ed Burke. But it was apparent to me and others that Burke had stumbled into a trap that was set for Mike Madigan. The feds were aiming at uh, real estate transactions and at the way Madigan uh, recruited or or used uh, allies to recruit um, clients for his law firm. And uh, Ed Burke just heedlessly stumbled into it. Mm. Well, state Republicans are suing over the Democrat-drawn legislative maps that were approved in the spring legislative session. Mike, do Republicans have a shot at overturning the maps? In the long run, I I think it's very unlikely. The Supreme Court has made it clear, the the John Roberts Court and the conservative majority has made it clear that they don't think that the courts should wade into this political thicket. It's worth noting that there are estimates that Republicans, while in Illinois, the gerrymandering uh, tilts the balance towards Democrats in, in the General Assembly and bolsters the chances that the supermajorities that give Democrats control in the House and the Senate in Springfield are going to be safe. Nationally, in terms of Congress, uh, 20 to 30 seats are Republican. The, the, the Republicans are benefiting from this in states like Wisconsin, Texas, Florida. And there may be as many as 20 or 30 seats in the U.S. Congress that would otherwise be Democratic that Republicans currently hold. So I think in the long run, there may be some tweaks. I think the MALDEF lawsuit, which focuses on whether uh, Hispanic voters uh, in Illinois are getting their fair share of representation under this new map, may have a better shot. Can you tell us more about that? What's the MALDEF lawsuit? Well, they have gone to court uh, arguing that the Illinois legislature's uh, plan violates the U.S. Constitution, and, and, and it shares an argument with the Republicans that they're relying on population estimates rather than uh, waiting for these delayed real census numbers, and they're saying that's unconstitutional. But down in the details, they're arguing that uh, Hispanic voters are getting cheated by that. The Republicans are arguing something similar, but ultimately they're looking for a different cure from the courts. But what listeners should know is the Illinois state constitution has a deadline of June 30th in it. And so if the remap is not done by June 30th, 
and the census numbers are not going to come out until the fall, it puts in motion a process by which pure chance could decide which party will control the remap. So conceivably, if this isn't completed and the courts say, you got to go back and do this in the fall after you get the numbers, there might be a coin toss or they might use Abe Lincoln's hat to pull a number out of a hat. There's a 50-50 chance Republicans could control the map. And just so we're clear, MALDEF is uh, the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund. Um, Now, Cassie, a a lot got accomplished during this last legislative session. But one big item that didn't get taken up was repeal of Illinois' parental notification law. Now, this is a, a big issue on both sides of the abortion debate, and a lot of money is getting funneled into this partisan dispute. What was up with the big fundraiser, too? Right. So the Parental Notice Act basically requires that people under the age of 18 who are seeking an abortion in Illinois, that they notify a family member. And in the case that they cannot notify a family member, that they would they'd have to go to court and ask the judge for permission to have the procedure. And so there's been a movement for a long time to repeal this act in Illinois. Now, I would note that the House bill that would repeal it is still in committee. So it hasn't really moved to this time, mm-hmm. but this week it came under spotlight because there was a fundraiser for the Speaker of the House and it was hosted by a powerful pro-choice group that backs um, basically repealing this act. So that's why it's in the discussion this week is because of that fundraiser. Now, this is Illinois, and so we have a pattern of you know seeing fundraisers happen and when there's legislation that um, groups back. So is this unique, the situation unique? Uh, You know, unfortunately not. Mike, you interviewed House Speaker Chris Welch. Is it a new day in Springfield or you think we're just seeing business as usual? Well, I mean, the the institutional imperatives remain the same. I, I think if you're going to run a legislative body, whether it's Chris Welch in the House or Don Harmon in the Senate or in you know places other other legislative bodies, um, you know, you seek to retain control and you use the levers of power that you have. But I really do think it is a day. Um, you know, Madigan. Uh, ran during the record-setting time that he ran the Illinois House longer than anybody's ever run a state legislative chamber in American history, the accountability was uniquely reduced. And there was, of course, no foreseeable end to his term. The 10-year term limit that Welch has accepted is a big change. And simply being a new guy, he's dependent on more people. Um, His leadership team it's my sense and my observation that his leadership team really does have more input than Madigan's assistant leaders had. But it's not a uh, totally new day. And, and uh, the, you know, the Republicans <laughs> who thought the Republicans who thought that the Democrats would somehow abandon the ability to tilt the scales on the remap were hopelessly naive. Over to schools now, Cassie, there was a Chicago charter school strike this week. What happened there? And and tell us, why a strike right before the end of the school year? Right. The timing on this strike was really unusual. You don't usually see an event like this with six days left to go in the school year. Right. You know, and notably that when seniors are taking their final exams. And so I think it, it was an unusual event. What happened was the union had been trying to, the charter division of the Chicago Teachers Union had been trying to negotiate a contract with um, this charter network, Urban Prep, for one, two years. And I 
think one of the things we saw here was that influx of federal money, both through um, the PPP loans that came. Urban Prep was one of two charters that got um, received PPP loans. And then some of the emergency money that came through seemed to be a catalyst for this. The teachers said they weren't seeing the spending that was in, that was coming to the network, mm-hmm. paying off in the classroom, and it seemed to be a um, an inflection point for them. On the management side, the management said, hey, running a charter is really expensive. We have to pay for our own facilities. We have to pay for our own security. Um, and so that's why you're not seeing some of these costs that essentially, you know, the math doesn't work for us as charters. So that's essentially what it came down to. Teachers walked out for two days. They were back in the classrooms on Wednesday. Um, But I do think that this strike will be something to continue to watch because it spotlights a question of how this charter manages its money. And to be quite frank, there's quite a bit of money that's coming to schools over the next several months from the federal government. Cassie Chalkbeat also had uh, an interesting story this week. He talked about some Chicago high schools automatically enrolling students into what's called JROTC. Tell us what that's about. Yes. So this was an investigation that Chalkbeat conducted over the course of several weeks. And what we found was that hundreds of Chicago students from at least 10 high schools, and these high schools are all predominantly black or predominantly Latino, were automatically enrolled each year in these military-run courses. And that practice is now under investigation by the school district's inspector general asked about it, the district said that default enrollment essentially can occur, but that parents are given an opportunity to opt their students out. In our reporting and in interviews that we conducted, some parents at some of the schools said they did not know this was an option, and so did some of the educators at the school, flagging that they did not think that students were aware that this was an option to opt out of the program. Also, the uh, Illinois State Board of Education delayed a vote on requiring more standardized testing. What are they considering doing instead, Cassie? I think this is a really interesting policy area to look at at the state. So the, the state has essentially a contract with a standardized testing vendor through 2025 for a test that's called now the Illinois Assessment of Readiness. It's had sort of different names and a um, complicated backstory. But, you know, people don't really like this test. They feel like they don't get the results quickly. They feel like it's not a great temperature check of where students would be coming in from the pandemic because it's generally administered in spring and districts are slow to get their results. Mm -hmm. So the the Illinois State Board is moving to sign a different contract with a different vendor starting next school year for more frequent testing that would give them a window into where students are, where they're coming in, um, you know, concern about COVID, academic losses, certainly driving some of this conversation. Mm -hmm. And they also want to streamline state testing because a lot of districts, including Chicago Public Schools, offer their own tests because, again, the state test is not, you know, there's a lot of criticism. But... Uh, there's been outcry from the state unions. There's been outcry from parents uh, for several reasons. You know, there's still big questions about standardized testing in this moment um, and what it will show. There's questions about why have two contracts for state tests that overlap. Uh, this vote also came up pretty suddenly. And some people in the education space, they were taken aback or surprised by it. And they just want more time. So the vote has been delayed. Oh, well, you mentioned there. uh Cassie, you talked about academic loss, and that's something we talked about here on Reset this week, you know, that that summer slide when when kids forget much of what they've learned during the school year. Can you briefly tell us what efforts are being made to keep kids learning this summer? 
So Chicago Public Schools is giving schools more money and more flexibility to design summer programs. But those decisions are largely decentralized. So what we're starting to see across different campuses, we're starting to see things like um, there used to be freshman academies to kind of get new freshmen, you know, into the culture and, and of a school and maybe address some things that, that they needed to address academically. We're now going to see some more sophomore academies. So broadening that reach. You see on the early ed side more, um, I think they're calling it like a pathway to pre-K. Uh, there's a kindergarten readiness program. And then, you know, elementary schools are offering summer camps programs that are a mix of play and, and bolstering some academic concepts. I think the thing that's interesting is that it's really different school to school. And so you may live in one neighborhood school and have one option. Mm -hmm. um, you may attend one school and have one option. And um, your neighbor might attend a different school and have a different one. So what will we see come out of that? Yeah, that'd be I, interesting. I don't know. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and you are listening to the Weekly News Recap here on Reset. Our panel today includes Chalk Beach Chicago Bureau Chief Cassie Walker-Burke and Mike Flannery, political editor at Fox 32 News. All COVID restrictions are now lifted. Uh, the mayor's office announced yesterday that it's closing several of downtown's busiest streets this summer for entertainment and for dining. We're talking parts of Michigan Avenue, State Street, LaSalle. What have you heard, Mike? People are eager to get back. I was talking with uh, Caben Clausen uh, of uh, TruePublic.com, uh, who uh, keeps who, who does a lot of marketing research. And among young people, there there are some astounding uh, numbers that are out there. Um, uh, he points out that nightclubs are not for everybody. T typically, only about thirty percent of young people will even consider going to one. Currently. Uh, when you uh, ask people, when you ask young people, 30 and younger, uh, what do you want to do? 80 plus percent say they wanna, they, they'd like to uh, boogie and dance till dawn in a nightclub, <laughs> potentially. Wow. Um, I'm not surprised, though. It, it's part of this pent up demand. People are hungry for companionship. They're eager to get out. They, you know, he, he, he thinks it's going to, uh, Cabin thinks it's going to look a bit like the roaring 20s for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, Cassie, Mayor Lightfoot is hoping that this is going to spark a post-COVID rebound, if you will. What do you think it's going to take to get the tourists and the crowds all back downtown shopping and, and eating again? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think that there's a few things. So the city, of course, is going to be, they announced this week, they're going to have this sort of revival and close these streets. So they're going to close LaSalle Street um, on the big lunch day and have like an outdoor lunch sort of pavilion, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to close State Street for, I think, 12 different Sundays, which, you know, anybody who's been downtown on a Sunday knows it's t it tends to be pretty quiet. So can you bring people down? Can you bring tourists down? Um, and, and families down on Sundays for music and dancing and entertainment. Probably depends on mm -hmm. who you book, but yeah. Um, and then North Michigan Avenue, they are going to take that, you know, the shopping corridor and offer family events, entertainment. And, you know, we know from pre-pandemic that things like the, you know, the parade, the holiday parades and that kind of thing draw big crowds. And so that seems like a strategy to bring people downtown. I think for me, you know, especially as a parent with young children, with young children not being vaccinated um, and not having the opportunity for vaccines yet, 
I think there are some questions about, especially families and, and families with young children, are they going to come out in right. mass and take the risk? And also, I think public transit remains a question mark for people who are looking for alternative ways to travel. So yeah. we'll see on some of this. Yeah, I feel like it's a mix of excitement and apprehension, Cassie. Museums are also staying open late tonight. Is that right? They are. So tonight is a great night to be in Chicago. Uh, you know, the, the Cubs are playing. They're back to full capacity. And then five museums are staying open late to either 9 or 10. Uh, and you can get tickets on their websites. Of course, you know, you still got to pay the ticket fee. But that's a great way to kind of fill in the culture gap, see some dinos, you know, get, get out <laughs> and do some things that you haven't previously been able to do. And for our listeners, that's Field Museum, uh, Science and Industry, Shed Aquarium, DuSable, and National Museum of Puerto Rican Arts and Culture. They're all going to stay open until around 9 or 10 p.m. tonight. Uh, Mike, as the state celebrates this grand reopening that we're talking about here, some hotels and restaurants are still struggling to get their staff up and running. What have you been hearing about that? It's a huge problem. Um, I I know uh, a very good friend who owns and operates several restaurants, and uh, he was opening a new one. And beginning six or eight weeks out, he actually put some of the kitchen staff on the payroll (laughs) just so so they wouldn't go someplace else. Uh, Now, his travail, his tribulations actually are, are of course, great for people in the business. Um, and, uh, you know, the workers, rank and file workers in the business, they, they have more leverage, more opportunities. Um, and, and it also reflects, I think, as a long ago worker at McDonald's, I still remember, you know, the grease and the, you know, the, the, the burns that I would get occasionally while I was uh, cooking the burgers. You know, it's a tough job. And I, I think some people have discovered there's also a worker shortage in other fields and they've found an easier way to make a living. Yeah, Cassie, this worker shortage makes me think of something else because summer's a time when teens can start to make some money, right? What impact do you think that the labor shortage that we're hearing about could have on teen employment? Well, the outlook is really good. So if you're a parent with a teenager um, like I am, me too, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're encouraged that maybe <laughs> they will actually get a job this summer. So is it, is pretty- it that they will t- they're willing to take these jobs? Is that, is that the bottom line here? You know, I'm not going to say that in my house, but I'm going <laughs> to say uh, there's just more jobs out there for teenagers. You have uh, the restaurants that Mike, you and Mike were talking about, but then you also have parks and summer camps. And think of the um, all of the offerings that have been re- just recently released, for example, through the Chicago Park District. All of those things have to get staff. Retailers, you know, people are coming back and offering jobs. I think the prediction is 5% um, more job opportunities for teenagers compared to last year just nationally. And then at the city level, the city is really um, going deep with a one summer Chicago program, which it does every year. But this year it says it's going to have 23,000 paid summer opportunities for Chicago youth. So, you know, there's stuff out there. If I could jump in for just a moment, I I think it's worth – pointing out to people that the the hog butcher to the world and the city of big shoulders actually uh, we we don't make as many things as we used to make the number one employer uh, is the hospitality and restaurant industry right. uh, i mean that's a that's a huge engine of of our local economy and until those big convention hotels get back online un, un, until 
the, you know, all of the hundreds of thousands of jobs that they that they're responsible for um, are 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 back. Our economy is going to be struggling. Well, as we talked a moment ago about teens, there's another issue that's impacting our young ones here in Chicago, and that's gun violence. Yesterday, a 14 year old was shot and killed. And so far this year, some 150 children have been shot in Chicago. Mike, you recently talked to Senator Tammy Duckworth about Illinois' gun laws, and you also follow it at the state level. So what are we, um, or where are we, I should say, right now on gun legislation? Well, I mean, also uh, Robin Kelly, uh, who was a close ally of uh, former New York City Mayor Bloomberg, she's actually working with Duckworth uh, uh, on on some gun proposals. She wants to have new screening. She wants universal background checks. Uh, she wants uh, new uh, steps taken to block the trafficking of guns, the movement of them across state lines. But she concedes as does Duckworth, that right now there are no votes to do those things. And it remains very unlikely that anything will come out of Capitol Hill, uh, out of uh, Washington, D.C. on that score. And the agenda in Springfield is similarly circumscribed. One of the big gun votes, one of the big gun issue uh, items was some issues related to the Foyd card and not really anything that would uh, reduce the number of uh, illegal guns that are out on the street. Yeah. Cassie, you cover education here in the city. What are your thoughts on this gun violence that's impacting so many of our youth? Well, I I think that this year in particular, when you have children dying from gun violence at a rate that's three times higher, and many of these children, students in our public schools, you know, it's certainly something that we've been watching from a mental health aspect and from a school community aspect. So how do educators, when when these tragic events happen, how do they talk to students about them? Um, what supports are there for students in schools, especially as they return in the fall, for who've lost siblings or parents to gun violence? So those are some of the stories that yeah. that we're watching. But it certainly impacts the schools. And I think the death of, of Adam Toledo in particular, we did quite a bit of reporting around how educators were talking to students in the classroom about that. Mm-hmm. And those are conversations that just grind everything else to a halt. But, but Mike, didn't Mayor Lightfoot say that we're, quote, trending in the right direction? Yeah, month over month and year over year. I mean, I was startled when I heard her say that. Um, The fact is that 2021 so far is Chicago's bloodiest year in more than a decade. And we're not alone in that. There has been an explosion of gun violence and, and street violence in general in other big cities around the country. But I don't think it helps the mayor when she makes claims that are untethered to reality. Let's talk about sports for a little bit here. Uh, the Cubs are doing well right now, and 100% capacity begins tonight. Mike, what do you think Wrigleyville is going to look like as the Cubs take on the Cardinals? Have you ever been to Mardi Gras down in New Orleans? I have, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you think it's going to look like that? Well, let's end things with a few sweet summer stories. Um, you've been hearing this on WBEZ listeners. Monty and Rose, the piping plovers at Montrose Beach, they've got a new nest and egg after skunk ate the others. Now, are either of you surprised by how much attention these birds are getting? I am a bit. I am a bit. I love it. I think it's great. And and what a perfect villain, a skunk. <laughs> One of my favorite things about that story is that there's now volunteers who are babysitting the birds. 
in like two hour shifts. Oh my goodness. That's incredible. Um, also this week, there was an announcement that uh, Montrose Bird Sanctuary will get a paved path this summer to make it more accessible. Now, that's pretty unique to have this incredible bit of nature right in the city. Don't you think, Cassie? It is. And it's popular. You know, it's so popular with the birding community, but also just anytime, you know, you bike by it, you want to take this little detour and you kind of get stuck in the rocks and the sand. So the fact that it's going to be paved and it will also be handicap accessible, I think, is is really exciting for people who um, usually like to go to that space on the, the lakefront. It, it captures the essence of the recovery of the ecosystem here. I mean, a few years ago, uh, behind my house on 102nd Street at the time, there was a pair of, of nesting bald eagles for several weeks, uh, drawing hundreds of birders. I mean, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, that would have been impossible. And it, it really shows that nature can bounce back. Well, we're almost out of time, so but I want to hear from you both on, on what stories you're going to be following in the coming days and, and what we should be paying attention to. You first, Cassie. In the coming days, you know, one of the things we're really focused on is the search for a CEO to replace uh, Chicago Public School CEO Janice Jackson. Uh, she, her contract is ending. The district is searching not just for a new CEO, but for a COO and a chief education officer. And so we're in the middle of obviously recovering from a pandemic, really still in a pandemic, uh, we don't really quite know what the academic fallout will be. And so it's just a really important moment. So that's a story we're focused on. We're also really focused um, this summer on summer school. You asked earlier, and we talked a little bit about the different offerings at schools. But from an equity standpoint, what does that mean for kids? And and what are we going to see? What are some solutions that we'll start to see in schools that really start to work? Things we can adopt in the fall, but also are children in Chicago getting an even access to yeah. these opportunities? Mike, what about you? Uh, next week, Springfield, the yeah. elected school board is expected uh, to be approved uh, by the General Assembly and the governor is expected to sign it. Uh, it's going to be delayed for a few years. But there is also another gigantic, gigantic issue pending down there. Uh, this huge, nearly 900 page energy legislation mm-hmm. embedded in that is a two dollar a month rate increase for consumers, 24 bucks a year. That ain't hay. Uh, But there's a bunch of stuff in there. Becky talked about it in the headlines earlier, uh, not just the incentives for electric vehicles, uh, trying to get a million more of those on the road, but the subsidy for Exelon's three nukes, despite the bribe paying, um, there will now be five of those nuclear power plants on the public. Well, well, we'll have to leave it there for now. We'll certainly be keeping an eye on that here at WBEZ as well. That's it for the weekly news recap. I want to thank Chalkbeat Chicago Bureau Chief Cassie Walker-Burke and Mike Flannery, political editor at Fox 32 News. Have a great weekend, folks. And that's a wrap for this week's recap. For the latest news and updates around masking, vaccinations, and the latest science around the pandemic, watch this feed for our weekly Q&A with an infectious disease specialist. You'll catch it first thing Sunday morning. Until then, I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Enjoy the hot weather and be safe out there. We'll meet again soon.